0: Um, we are uh, on the fourth chapter of Colossians and how many have enjoyed the book of Colossians? It's been a, it's been a a great book and it deals with, with truth. Colossians deals with truth. If there was, I said that last week, if there was one word to sum up Colossians, it was, it would be the truth. Chapter one deals with the truth of, of Christ and who he is and what he means to us. Chapter two deals with the truth about, the cults, I talked, uh, not the cults, C-O-L-T, cults, cult, C-U-L-T-S, I'm not pronouncing that right. Cults uh, and different things that oftentimes rear their head, their head up in churches, different scenarios, and there was legalism and asceticism and uh, mysticism and all those things. And if you were not here, you can go back and find those on the podcast and listen to those. Um, Chapters three and four both deal with the truth of the Christian walk and the first part of chapter three dealt dealt with uh the Christian walk. Uh uh, you know, our our goal as Christians is to be to go to heaven. All right. Our goal as Christians is to go to heaven. Amen. And and that's our hope. That's our hope as as believers. And we are here uh as pilgrims. We're we're not we're not permanent residents here on Earth. Our time here on Earth is actually a very short time, and when you compare it to eternity, it's very minimal. And um, the first part of chapter three deals with uh, Christians and how we should live for heaven, and and that should be our goal. But then it gets it gets even more practical at, uh, after the first four uh, verses of chapter three. goes into just living here on earth as Christians. And sometimes we just need practical information from the Lord. Amen? Some I don't know about you. Sometimes I need the Lord to just write it out for me, plain and simple. That way I know how to follow it, right? Anybody with me, or am I the only one? All right. And, uh, and the great thing about, I'm going to just kind of go back here. Uh, heaven, I, when you think about heaven, <clears throat> things that are, bad here on earth, okay, things that we think are bad, how many think that the older you get, the, the well, maybe some of you may feel this way, the older you get, the better looking you get. I, I know, like, the older I get, the more that I realize that my hair's not where it was when I was 18, and things that were higher when I was, you know, and they start drooping a little bit, and just, just life, it, But the good thing about heaven, here's the hope of heaven. Guess what? No matter how bad your body is, when you get to heaven, you're going to have a new body. Now, that's worth shouting about right there. And and we will be made whole. And heaven is the great reversal. It is the great reversal for us as Christians. And so things that have been difficult for us, when we get to heaven, we're going to just be blown away by by God's grace. And so uh, Scripture tells us this, that, that... that uh, man looks on the outward appearance, right? That's something that we focus on a lot, all of us. I mean, how many looked in the mirror today at one point or another? All right, some of you, some of you are lying somehow, some way. Uh, 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 and, and but man, we look at the outward appearance, but uh, and and here on earth, we 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 look at the outward appearance, and and our bodies are not eternal. Many of you are like I know that's right, right, and and so, uh, but God He looks at the heart, and here's the key: everything ultimately is going to be judged. God's going to judge our hearts, Amen. And so, what happens externally? I don't care how many surgeries you have, you know, whatever you. Eventually, your body's going to fail, right? And but God, God looks at at the heart, and. Um, some of the people who have nothing on earth will be honored in heaven. And the people that have everything here on earth, it's the great reversal. It really is. It's pretty amazing to me. Um, and, and a lot of people who were great here on earth will be will be in the backseat to those who laid up eternal treasures. That's why I'm saying, as Christians, we're living for heaven. We're not necessarily, listen, we've got to live, we've got to abide here on earth. We have to We have to do what we know. We have to go to work. We have to have a house. We have to do all those things. But those things are truly temporal. And so like chapter 3, we should be doing things that are of eternal value, not just things that will get us ahead here on earth. Now, I think you ought to be wise and try to do things that help you out here on earth. You know, if you could sell a car and make some money, do it. But that's not an eternal thing. That is a temporal thing. And, And eventually... You know that money 's going to be gone you 're going to spend it on something and so and so Paul opens this chapter with advice, and we talked about husbands and wives, and then we talked about uh, fathers and sons, and we talked about uh, servants or employees last week so Paul comes in and he opens uh, and he, he opens this uh, chapter with advice for those in authority I, I love how Paul just kind of covers the whole gamut he always does so and and if you need a a subheading for this you could write this the truth about christian living here on earth and chapter 4 verse 1 says this masters treat your bondservants justly and and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven and so masters or it you know in this time there were there were people who who were uh, masters and had bond servants. A way that we could say this is, you could say, my boss. How many have a boss? Alright, some of you have a boss. And, and, and here's the thing. and How many are a boss? Alright, no one wants to raise their hand. My wife raised her hand back there. Uh, How many are a boss? Uh, But here's the thing. The the scripture here tells us if you are a boss or you have people that work underneath you, that you should be acting justly, lovingly, and equitably. That you should be doing everything in your position of power, of prominence, uh, uh, to do the right thing. Because here's the deal. You will stand before a master, an eternal master, who's going to hold you accountable. Now, that's a pretty steep word for those who are bosses, right? That's, pretty, that's a pretty potent word. Uh, now, here's the thing. On the flip side to that, those who are not masters or bosses uh, but, but employees, when things are done equitably and justly, sometimes it, it causes a, a stir or consternation, right? How many have totally loved every decision that your boss ever made? I didn't think anyone would raise their hand, right? How many have, have thought, why did they promote that person, or why did that person get that raise, and why didn't I, anybody ever, you don't have to raise your hand, okay, I want, but how many have ever thought that in your mind, and, 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 and you know, why did it happen, why didn't I get that bonus, I did all the work. And they just showed up, and they they got promoted, and uh, uh, they don't have my experience or my education. You know, they have a fifth-grade education. I have a junior high education, whatever the case. And I'm more qualified, and the boss is giving them favor. Anybody ever felt like that before? And Jesus spoke of this very issue in Matthew 20. He spoke of the vineyard workers. You guys know this parable, right? And, and the landowner, he hires hands for the day, and he hires hands for the day at different times of the day. The, the first group he hires at 9 in the morning, he goes to the marketplace, and he sees them, and he hires them. And he says, I'll give you a, a fair day's wage. I'll give you a denarius, which was the equivalent to what a Roman soldier would get daily, which was a good wage. Everyone say, Good wage. And so he said, I will hire you for a, a good, fair wage. And so he, he hires these guys at 9, and then he goes back to the marketplace at 12 o'clock, and he hires more people, and he, and he offers to give them a denarius. And then he hires more people at 3 o'clock, and then he hires people at, people at 5 o'clock right before the day ends. And ask them to come to work, and they all come, come to work, and at the end of the day, he's, he's, he comes in, and he goes to the guys who he hired at 5 p.m., and he says, here's a denarius. And can you imagine if you got hired at 9, a, 9 a.m., and you'd been working all day, and you're sitting there going, if that guy made a denarius, that means that I, man, I can start ordering what I want on Amazon, because guess what, I'm going to get paid good, Right. And we put this expectation oftentimes right, on our bosses that sometimes that we create, right, and so this is this is what's happening in the story, and so they 're there and and then all of a sudden, when he gets down to them, he gives them a denarius the same thing, the guys that worked literally one hour, and the guys that worked eight hours, he paid them the same, and most of us would say that is not fair right that's what we would say that most of us. But in this story, listen, it's important for us, uh, and and the, the the landowner, he says, why is that not fair? I mean, he says, we agreed to the amount of payment that you were going to get. And this is what I've come to find out. When we start something, when we start a job, our intentions are always good. Thank you for the job. Thank you for doing this. And then through time, sometimes things don't go our way, or someone else gets promoted, and we start looking at what is happening to them versus Worrying about what's happening to us, we start focusing on them, and then we have this little bit of resentment towards them right well here's the deal what's the what's the purpose of the story in the story, Jesus points out our tendency to be happy until someone else gets more. Whew. you ever been there uh, uh, you know uh the workers started the day excited, but ended up murmuring because. They begin to look at the other guys. Not fair. So what's the key? Don't look around. Focus on what you have to do. When I look around, here's the thing. When I begin to compare what someone else is doing versus what what I'm supposed to be doing, guess what? I get discouraged. And, And that's on me. Uh, why is he getting the breaks or why why does she get the blessing or or what's going on and and I've been working here longer and I've been working harder and if you're going to be sad every time listen and this is a this is a very good thing if you're going to be sad every time someone else is blessed don't get into the ministry because here's the thing God blesses whoever he wants whenever he wants that's That's the bottom line, so 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 to kind of pull this all together, so bo- bosses are to be fair to their employees. Now they ought to be equitable. they ought to, they ought to do their best and, and do their best. And how many could say, "Hey, I've had a great boss. I've had a boss that cared about me. I've had a boss that 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 went above and beyond at times when they didn't have to do this. They, they cared for me in a way. Anybody ever had a boss like that? I have. Okay, good. They haven't all been bad, right? And so so here's the thing. So uh uh bosses and and if and if you aren't a boss, you are a person, right? Right? How many could say I'm a person? All right. Bosses are people too, all right? Just FYI. Uh one one of the you're in one of those two camps. The way uh that you are fair to your employees is in the next verse. This is how bosses should respond. This is how they become fair to their employees is this. Verse 2. Are you ready? Continue steadfastly in prayer. That's a, lot, that's a lot of weight. So bosses, you should be in prayer if you're a boss in here. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. Uh, you should be in prayer in order that you treat people fairly and right. And, and here's the thing. My tendency and, and yours as a boss is to treat people fairly when it benefits me now, now that i'm I'm stepping on some toes, I know that a little bit and but but here here's the thing i've worked in a place where i was was one of the bosses and I was over people and there were times where I did things that benefited me and not the employee right and Now there was times where i did the did the opposite that but here's the thing when i when I lead in prayer as a Christian boss, I have to pray for my employees I have to pray for their well being I have to uh, pray for every person, and I, I pray, uh, and here's the thing. If you work for someone, you ought to pray for your boss. How many have ever prayed for your boss? Some of us like complaining about our boss, but we don't like praying about our boss. When's the last time you called your boss's name out and said, Lord, will you just bless them? Will you give them wisdom? Will you help them? Will you lead them? Will you Will you just help them to make wise decisions? Let me tell you something. When you begin to pray those things over your boss, it's going to help them out. It's going to help you out, too. But here's the thing. Uh, um, and, and pray for your company you work for. Some of you are so busy complaining about the company that you work for, you're cursing your company by, by complaining about your company versus praying for your company. God, will you just send the right contracts? God, will you send the right people? Lord, will you help us to be profitable? Right? And so, so we should be praying. And everyone say prayer. Continue in prayer as a believer. And the only way... Uh, I know to do this is following Jesus' example in prayer. You remember when he prayed to his father, he said, give us this day our what? Daily. And this is what I say, Lord, help me to distribute the bread. And we do that through prayer. All right. Looking here, the next says, being watchful uh, in it with thanksgiving. Everyone say thanksgiving. All right. Thanksgiving. Here's the deal. Thanksgiving is for bosses it's for employees it's for fathers it's for mothers it's for husbands it's for wives it's for sons and daughters and it says this steadfast and watchful in prayer with thanksgiving everyone say being watchful in with Thanksgiving so Thanksgiving and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on something that our general bishop spoke on this this week. Thanksgiving is a is pivotal to us as believers in Christ. You've heard me say a lot about Thanksgiving since around Thanksgiving, and it just keeps popping up because here is the thing: there is a core correlation between Thanksgiving and faith. All right, I am going to show you because look at this Colossians. And our bishop he brought something out in this verse: Colossians chapter two, verses six through seven says this, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, okay, going back two chapters, verse 7 says this, rooted and built up in him, okay, number one, strengthen in the, everyone say, faith as you were taught, and here's the key, and overflowing with thankfulness. How many can say, hey, I'm overflowing with thankfulness? You know, a lot of us uh, and 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 uh, struggle with this. Our, our bishop, he talked about this. Our general bishop of our denomination, he mentioned this verse this weekend at the encounter, and he was speaking on expectation or faith and thanksgiving. And there is a correlation between faith in God and overflowing thanksgiving. Because when I am thankful for what God is doing, my faith begins to build. It's it's just, it's just what's happening. So if there's Thanksgiving, if my lifestyle is full of Thanksgiving, guess what? My faith ought to be rising. So wake up in the morning and, and, and thank the Lord for a new day. Thank Him for His mercy on you. Thank Him that you are alive. Oh, but I don't like getting up in the morning. I don't like the way I feel. You ought to thank God that you got the breath to get up and feel pain. Amen. John Wooden, the great UCLA basketball coach, said this, if we magnified, listen, you ought to write this down. This is powerful. If we magnified blessings as much as we magnified disappointments, we would all be much happier. Sometimes we just focus on the negatives and not the good that God is doing. We, and, and here's the thing, I mean, as, as, a, as a pastor and as a person, this is me personally, I struggle with grumpy believers you love Jesus? I sure do. Really, I could just feel the the love of Christ coming off of your face right there, right? And they're grumpy. And, and 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 don't you realize how good God has been to you? And if God has been good to you, you can't help but let the the blessings of God, when you think about that, it'll turn your day around. It may your life may not be perfect. Guess what? Here's the thing. If you're a Christian, you ought not be grumpy because you're going to heaven. You ought not be grumpy because you have the word of God. I, I love that video that, w- that went around a few years ago where the people in China were getting Bibles. And, and And they were unboxing them in the underground church there. And these people were crying and kissing the word of God. But here in America, we have Bibles all over the place. Something that we take for granted and but these people were were grateful and they're thankful. We have the word of God. So and the Spirit of God dwells within us. Oh, some of you need to turn tell your countenance, hey, turn around, turn that frown upside down, right? My parents they did kids ministry for a long time, and one of the songs they used to sing was, and they had this this song and it was Jesus takes a frown and turns it upside down. And I think that's a principle that all of us need to learn. Because Jesus turns our bad life into a good life, and our hope is eternal, right? And so uh, I know we have bad days, and, uh, but a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving will flip that day around in a second. Johnson Oatman, he penned this hymn in 1897. And let me tell you something, it rings true today. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read part of this hymn, and some of you may know this hymn. Some of you may be old enough to remember when he wrote it in 1897. That's a joke. Just a joke. He said this, when upon life's billows you are uh, tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Verse 2 says this, are you burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy? You are called to bear. Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly, and you will be singing as the days go by. And the course to that goes count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. There you go. Some of you do, some of you were born in that time. I, but I'm just kidding. Here's the key. Here's the key. When you're feeling grumpy, when you're feeling down, begin to think about all the things you have to be thankful for. Two things that that will change you is prayer and thanksgiving. Prayer and thanksgiving, they go hand in hand. So look at this. Verse 3 says this. At the same time, pray also for us. I like this. Paul shifts gears that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, verse four, that I may take that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. I, I love this. This is very easy to read over and miss something very I- intriguing about the scripture. and the context here is Paul is in a Roman prison writing this letter that 's where he 's at he 's writing this to the colossians he 's encouraging them and this is how he this is how he responds to them. He asked the Colossians to pray not for him in his specific situation, but but for him not for him to get out of prison even. I don't know if I was Paul I'd be like, "Hey, you guys start shaking, get on your knees and start praying that God'll get me out of this prison, right?" But that's not what Paul asked. He says, "He prays a prayer that that he asks asked them to pray this that that they begin to pray for one another that that God would open an opportunity for Paul to preach the word. Not worried about my situation here because I just ask you that God would open the opportunity for me to tell someone about Jesus. That God would open the door for the word. I'm in prison because I've declared the mystery of Christ. But all, I, let me make this clear. All I want to do is spread the gospel. So pray that God would open the A door for me to tell someone about Jesus. I don't know about you. I think that is awesome. And I want that tenacity in my life. Instead of focusing on my need, God, get me out of this. Just say, God, will you give me a moment to tell someone about Jesus today? It's amazing. And what a way to pray. And I would ask uh, uh, if it had been me, I'd have been like, uh, Paul would have said, hey, Lord, make an earthquake. Make an earthquake. Shake this prison so I could get out. That I would be set free, uh, you know, or send a pack of wolves in here to devour all the prison guards. You know, something amazing, right? That's what I would be praying. But no, Paul, instead he asked that God would open the door to minister. Whew. I don't know about you, but I, that, gets, that gets my juices flowing right there. And what a way to pray. And we usually pray, pray, God, get me out of here or fix this. Uh, And when they don't work out, we quit praying instead of learning what prayer really is. And I want to share this with you. If if you're a note taker, write this down. (sighs) I like this. Prayer is not to get God to see things our way, but rather to get us to see things his way. I'll say it again. Prayer is not to get God to. To see things our way, but rather to get us to see things his way. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's, he, he's not worried about his condition at that moment. He's, he's just like, just pray that God would open a door that we could spread the gospel somehow, some way. You know how we, our world would be flipped upside down if our church alone prayed that way it would our community would 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 man the revival would break god just open a door of opportunity lord i'm going through this problem but right now lord just give me an opportunity to speak of your goodness to somebody today somehow some way james chapter 4 verse 3 says and even when you ask you don't get it because your motives are all wrong you want only what will give you pleasure and so sometimes we pray this God, get me out of this situation, right? Get me out of this this thing. It's it's it hurts. It's a heavy burden. God, help me. And I believe God wants to to help you, but oftentimes what we should be praying is, God, what are you trying to teach me in this, Lord? And how can I be a light for you in this dark and dying world through this? This is interesting. The Associated Press it reported uh, on a story in 19 in 1994 in Conway, Arkansas about the power of prayer. I haven't seen the Associated Press do a, a prayer piece in a minute, right? But this is amazing. There was a lady named Mrs. Hartman who was 26 years old and said that a burglar confronted her when she came in, in to answer the phone. And he ripped the cord out of the wall. That was back when they had wall. You know, some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, I have to have a cell phone. No, not back then, 94, not really. Um, Not unless you were Zach, what's his name, off of Saved by the Bell. He had a phone back then, but no one else. All right. So he, he the, the robber, he ripped the cord out of the wall and ordered her into a cramped bed bedroom closet, and then she dropped to her knees. Check this out. This is amazing to me. And this is what she said. I asked if I could pray for him. And I told him, I want you to know that God loves you and I forgive you. And Ms. Hartman said that the man also kneeled down and then apologized, had asked to use a shirt to wipe off all the fingerprints. Then he yelled to a woman in a pickup truck who was outside with him, and she said, we've got to unload all of this stuff. This is a Christian home and a Christian family. We can't do this to them. It's amazing, right? And Miss Hartman remained kneeling while her furniture was returned. Before he left, listen to this. This is, this is amazing. Before he left, the burglar removed the bullets from the gun and left the weapon. There's power in prayer. And this lady could have prayed, God, get me out of here. But instead she prayed like Paul, can I pray for you? I forgive you. God forgives you. And, and, and that's in harmony with the heart of God. So how do I know this? Because of what Jesus said on the cross. Remember what Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I want to pray more like Jesus, and I want to pray more like Paul. Oh, I have a lot to learn in this area. I don't know about you; I haven't arrived yet. I'm learning every day. Guess what? You are too. And and, and but here's the thing: uh, but I see the principle that is being modeled here by Paul here in here in our text, and not praying. Take take. You know, Jesus said that he didn't pray. He could have said, Lord, take me off the cross. But he didn't because he understood that there was a purpose for what he was doing. And Paul could have said, hey, get me out of this prison. But he said, Lord, just give me the boldness and open the door for me to be able to speak to somebody. Amen. Verse 5 says this. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. So walk wisely because people are watching you. I don't know if you know this. If people know that you're a Christian, they are watching you. Right? When you're in Walmart, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, as a pastor, I'll go to Walmart and, and, you know, people will see me from the church or, or know who I am. And sometimes they'll come up, and talk to me. Sometimes they won't, you know. And, and, and I, you know, sometimes they're just watching me, seeing how I am with my family. Seeing if I'm being kind to my wife or yelling at my kids or whatever the case, right? And the world is watching you. When And here's the thing. When I was mountain climbing one time, and I was, I was going, and I was up at high altitude, and there was a lot of, uh, of, not necessarily cliffs, but places that you could fall. Here's what I understood. When I got up to that point, I knew that it was important to know where my foot was going. If I was going to take a step, I needed to know where the edge was, and I needed to know, hey, if I put my foot here, it needs to be a sure foundation. And as believers and as Christians, as we walk this thing out every day, people are watching us, and we need to look and say, is this a sure foundation? Okay, I'm going to take this step. This is going to be right. And we do that day by day. Amen? And, and um, here's the thing. So so you and I should be walking. So time is moving fast. So the Scripture says here, Make the best use of your time or redeem it, right? Most of us say, ah, I've got a long time in my life, right? How many hope you have a long time in your life, right? Um, uh, and But here, James reminds us in chapter 4, verse 14, that life is a vapor. Just You know how fast vapor comes and goes? Right? It's there, and then it's just gone. just happens, and that's what he says this life. And here's the deal. As believers, we have to make It counts. So how do we do that? This is interesting. I saw this. According to AAA, the average person will spend over 17,000 minutes driving per year. It's a lot of minutes. Um, And of that, you ready for this? This is going to blow your mind. Of that, 3,520 minutes will be spent at red lights. Some of you say, yeah, some of those red lights in town are taking all that time, right? And 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 listen to this. If you were to take that, that average, okay, and you were to take that and put that, divide that by 60, that is 58 hours of your life per year sitting at red lights. That's a lot of time. Two plus days and 10 hours sitting at red lights. Somebody say, I believe that. I know that's for sure, right? All right, but and and here's the key. That's per year, and then if you take that to an average lifespan, that's 6.5 months of your life. That's a lot of time, right? But here's what I've learned. Here's a way to redeem time. If you're sitting at a – well, no, don't run red lights, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Don't redeem time that way. You'll lose your money, okay, because Drew will find you and get you. All right, but here's the deal. How do we redeem time at red lights? When you're at a red light, I'm going to encourage you to do something. Pray for somebody. I say, oh, but what if I get caught up praying for somebody and, and you're really interested and you forget that you're at a red light? The person behind you will let you know. Right? But what if you spent 30 seconds praying over your spouse or praying over your church? Or praying for your brother in Christ who's struggling or your sister in Christ who's struggling. Or just lifting them up. It's a way to redeem the time. And that's just one simple way. But think about that. If your lifespan, if you prayed at every red light in your life, guess what? Six months of your life you will have prayed for somebody. That's impressive. That's incredible. And that's just a small little thing. There's so many ways that we can redeem time. And, and and But here's what how I'll just encourage you. Get creative on how to do that. Say, I don't know what to pray. Pray for the person next to you. They keep mean mugging you and look at them and say, ah, I'm going to pray for them right now. They need the joy of the Lord, right? Verse 6 says this, let your speech always be gracious. Woo. You want know, to underline that when you get in a, a fight with your spouse. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So um, when we, we hear about salty talk, you know, years ago, that meant swearing like a sailor, right? Or, uh, but that's not what Paul is talking about here, okay? Just FYI, he's talking, he's talking more on the lines of uh, how many like salty french fries, How many are at, at a place in your life where the doctor says, hey, a little less salt? All right, a few of you. How many know that your food is not as good when you get to that point, right? You have to actually enjoy your food without salt. Salt, salt brings flavor to life, right? It, it, it brings life. And I love me some French fries with salt. And when I eat those French fries with salt, guess what? I get thirsty. You ever notice when you go to a baseball game, what do they sell? Peanuts, salt, nachos, salt, pretzels, salt, french fries, salt. Why? Because they know you aren't going to go just buy a thing of french fries. You're going to buy one of them $10 drinks at the baseball game because you're going to have to have it, right? But here's the thing. When my talk is gracious, when my talk is salty like the Lord wants it to be, guess what? Other people around me are going to see that, and they're going to say, that makes me thirsty for, for what's going on in their life. So have salty talk. Not the sailor kind, but the right kind. So so it'd be gracious and seasoned in our talk. Uh, and so look at this. So Paul shifts gears here, um, and this is kind of his final greeting, and he's going to go through a list of people here, and I'm going to break these guys down for you a little bit. Uh, the first one here is in verse seven. Is Tychicus. If you're ne- if you're looking for dog names for your dogs, here's some great names. We're gonna go through a series. I, Tychicus. That's kind of a weird name. Uh, we'll will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant to the Lord. Um, uh, was most likely he was a close friend. Tychicus was mostly a close friend to Paul, uh, who came from Asia and served with Paul on his third missionary journey. And Paul, not Spall, but Paul speaks of his good qualities. How many know that you ought to have friends that speak about your good qualities? I like that. Ooh, lesson learned. Another lesson we can learn from Paul. Hey, speak about the good qualities of your friends. Don't worry. We all have short, short fallings and things that we fell at. But talk about the good things about somebody. I like this. So you should have friends that 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 tell of your good qualities. Verse eight: I have sent him to you for this is uh, very purpose that you may know how we are, and that we he may encourage your heart. So probably delivering uh, this letter to the Colossians and and answered questions on Paul's condition in prison to the Colossians. They probably had questions. They couldn't just Facetime. They couldn't just pull up their phone and ask how They couldn't call. The jail there and talk to them. It just wasn't a possibility, and so here he is. He is a messenger, and so Paul was not just—I like this. uh, Paul was not just a soul winner, but a friend maker. This is amazing. As you read the letters that Paul wrote, you'll find over a hundred people to whom he sends greetings. Paul had a lot of friends. I love that. Proverbs eighteen twenty four says, "There are friends." who destroy each other but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. So Paul must have been a good friend because he had a lot of people that stuck by him that loved on him. And let me tell you something, if you want to have good friends, be a good friend. I don't have any friends. Be a better friend. All right. Verse 9 says this. And with him, Onesimus, ooh, I like Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you he was from Colossae okay and they will tell you of everything that has taken place here so um, a while back we studied the book of Philemon and we learned of Onesimus he was a runaway slave from Colossae and Philemon was from Colossae as well and he was wealthy and he owned Onesimus he was he was a a master and Onesimus was was a slave or a bond servant and Onesimus he runs away from Philemon and he's hiding in Rome And probably runs across Paul in prison somehow, some way. And you know Paul, when he's in prison, he's going to redeem the time. And he's going to witness to somebody. And guess what? Onesimus comes and repents and gets saved. And so the whole book of Philemon is Paul writing this beautiful letter Uh, To Philemon, pleading to Philemon to handle Onesimus with grace. Because in all reality, Philemon could have, once Onesimus came back to him, could have had him put to death. Could have done a lot of things. But Paul just says, hey, he is useful. He loves the Lord. Give him grace. And Onesimus has has turned out to be a faithful friend is what he says. And a minister. So he's, he's, he's giving him accolades here, okay. He once was a slave. And so he's going back. So look at this, verse 10. Another one. Uh, 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 Aristarchus, okay, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember, I I looked at the enunciation of this name, and for whatever reason, it is escaping me at this moment. My fellow prisoner greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. So um, this uh, Aristarchus, a Jew from Thessalonica, had traveled with Paul since they were in Ephesus, and was in prison here at this moment with Paul. So there they are together. So Paul, Paul makes friends, all right? He's got friends everywhere. Uh, you remember in Acts 13 when Paul and Barnabas were on their second mission? they were getting ready to start their second missionary journey, and Barnabas says, hey, uh, I'm going to go get John Mark. How many of you remember this story, okay? And and what happened, Paul says, wait a minute, no, no, no. On our first missionary journey, we, we tried to take him, and, and he failed us. And he wanted to go home, and and so he's not coming with us. And Barnabas, whose name means son of comfort. Everyone say son of comfort. It's a guy that he says, yes, he is. And Paul says, no way. There's work to do, and we don't have time, and he doesn't have what it takes. Look at this. This is amazing to me. This is amazing to me. Barnabas says, hey, I'll take him with me. And fine says, uh, Paul says, fine, I'll take Silas with me. They go two different ways, and they they. The gospel is is spread, and we'll go our separate ways. Acts chapter 15, if you need a reference there. Years later, okay, this is years later, we see that Barnabas' work with John Mark, this guy that Paul didn't want to give credit for, was very successful here. And guess what? Paul salutes him. How many have ever made a bad judgment about somebody? You cut them short. You didn't give them enough, enough of a chance here. And so this is Paul, so you ever felt and, and and maybe you feel like John Mark, have you ever felt like you just you missed it, where you, you had this great opportunity and you just blew it? John Mark, he went out, he was young, he just got a little homesick, he wanted to go home, didn't really count the cost of what it was going to be, and uh, anybody ever ever have those moments where you, 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 you had instant regret, he was ready to go home, and and anybody ever felt like John Mark where you just dropped the ball? Um, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you an example here. Here's a great, great example. Uh, this man that I'm talking about, not not John Mark, but this guy I'm going to be talking about, he had less than three years of formal education. failed in business in 31, he was defeated for the state legislator in 32, and failed again in business in in 34. Finally, making the state legislator in 35, he ran for speaker of the house and lost in a landslide. He was again defeated for the elector, which was a lesser position in forty, in Congress, uh, and Congress and ran for Congress from 43. Elected in 46, he was tossed out of the office for two years later and defeated in re-election attempt in 48. Whew, this guy had a lot going on, right? So failing in business, once again, he ran for Senate, but he was defeated in 55. He ran for vice president in 56 and was crushed and defeated for Senate again in 58. And then in 60, in 1860, Abraham was elected president of the United States. You ever felt like you dropped the ball? And, and really, uh, you think about Lincoln, you think about a, a, a president, probably the, one of the greatest president, if not the greatest president uh, in, in American history, who, who was a president at a very tough time, pulling a very divided nation together. But look at this, I can't help but think all the setbacks that Abraham Lincoln had brought him wisdom, brought him wit and understanding, and how to deal with failures and defeats that only prepped him for his time as president at a very crucial time. So here's the thing, don't be, dis- don't be in despair. John Mark, he blew it badly, but in the end, he came through ultimately. Ultimately. He would, uh, many of you, you hear John Mark, you you don't really think about it, but he would be the one who would write the second book of the Gospels known as Mark. And had setbacks, he had failures, but here's the thing, God was not done with him yet. Look at this, verse 11. So I like how Paul, he he admonishes him here. And Jesus, who is called justice, um, there are only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been uh, a comfort to me. So Justice, Marcus, or John Mark, uh, Aristarchus, Onesimus, were all tremendous blessing to Paul. And I don't know about you, when I was thinking about this, and I was reading over this, I am grateful for all of my friends, and all of the pastors, and all of the people that I know that have been an asset to me in my life and into my ministry. I can't help but go, man, thank you, God, for placing this person in my life at that time. I needed them. So look at this. Verse 12 says this. Epaphras, who is uh, one of you, he's a Colossian, a servant of, of Christ Jesus. He's actually the pastor. Greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. <clears throat> I, I love that. That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of of God verse 13 for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and those in Laodicea and Hierapolis which Laodicea was uh, approximately about 9 miles away from them. Epaphras labored fervently in prayers what he said. Their pastor prayed for them. And the ideal here is 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 praying for them but but it, it's like giving birth, going through birth pains. You know, sometimes when we pray, we want to quit because it hurts to pray sometimes. But here's the thing. When Tristan was pregnant with our kids, it didn't matter if she didn't want to go through labor or not. She was going to go through labor one way or the other, right? Because that's the way it's designed. And, And just because it hurt, her in that moment doesn't mean it's going to stop. And here's the thing. In prayer, we have to, sometimes when it hurts and we're praying and we, we have this burden, we don't know what to do, we just got to grit our teeth and keep praying and keep praying until God births something. Amen? And I love this, this, this visual about Epaphras here. He, he labored in prayer until there was a breakthrough. It's amazing to me, a birth or of renewal or revival in the hearts of the Colossians and those whom he prayed. Look at this, verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. Um, this is Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, and most likely uh, the writer of Acts because he accompanied Paul on many of his missionary journeys. So this is, he's a physician by trade, and it's amazing to me that Paul, the guy who laid hands on people and prayed in faith and healed people, brought a physician with him. I think this is a, a good lesson here. You know, there are people who say, oh, if you go to the doctor, you lack faith. Let me tell you something. You lack wisdom. Okay? Paul took a physician with him on on, on his trips. So, uh, you know, some people would say, and there are so many, I, you know, and I, I don't want to call out any names or anything like that, but there are so many people who are word of faith people who say oh just just you know name it and claim it and this and that and and sometimes you just need to see a doctor, amen. God gives you wisdom, he gave them wisdom. They went to school a long time. You know what? God can use physicians. Do you know that most physicians in in this period of time, a lot of physicians were actually ministers. It's pretty interesting. So so Paul, he calls him the beloved physician. Uh, Not the beloved faith healer, but Paul saw he and he saw very many powerful miracles, and he and he welcomed Luke on his missionaries. You know, we take missions trips, and and there are missions trips. Matter of fact, less less than them just did a or they're doing a mission. No, they just did one back in the fall, and they had doctors and nurses come down to the orphanage to take care of needs and situations. It's important, okay? It's important. So here's the next bit of this. He says, And does Demas. Uh, and here's this is interesting. Demas is an interesting character. This is a good name for a dog too, Demas. Um in, in Philemon, Demas is called the fellow laborer, That's what Paul would call him there. And approximately six years later, um there's a there's a third mention of Demas. There's 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 Philemon, there's this one, and there's a third mention in Second Timothy four ten. Paul would say this, for Demas, in love with this present world, okay, now, now, go back to Philemon, he calls him a fellow laborer, but look at this in First Timothy, or Second Timothy 4.10, he says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. I wish um, the story could be, be good for all of these guys, this is amazing, Paul's giving him acc- accolades here, because at this time he was doing right. And so Demas went from being a fellow laborer to one who turned his back on the Lord because he loved the world. Can I tell you something? I, as a pastor, I have a lot of friends across the nation. I have friends that are pastors, and I've watched people who have loved God turn their back on God and begin to love the world. It, it just, it sometimes it happens. The Christian life. And here's the thing, and this—the Christian life is kind of like a like a steam locomotive, right? Uh, when when we are first saved, we are on fire, man. We are throwing wood in the boiler, and we are running down the tracks at 100 miles an hour, right? And we're going, and steam is blowing, and, and and we're we're doing all kinds of things. We are we are stoked to be at church. We are happy to be in the Word. We are ready to worship. We love being involved in ministry, and we're going, 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 and we're. Cruising down the tracks. Then comes a point where you say, man, I'm cruising pretty good, so I'm just going to lay off just a moment. And that's what happens. And I'll miss church here, or I'll skip uh, reading my word today, or I'll pass on prayer today, or uh, I'm still moving. The train's still moving, so it's okay. I've still got forward momentum. And this is what happens. The train will still go down the track, but if we don't maintain, stoke the fire, we will... Begin moving slower and slower and slower. And finally, we stop dead in our tracks. And here's the thing. This is what I've learned. You may be able to go weeks without stoking the fire. You may be able to go months. Sometimes you may, even, you may, you may be even able to go years without momentum. But let me tell you something. Eventually, you will stop. And this is what we see in Demas. But if you don't continue to feed the fire, eventually you'll stop altogether. And and like Demas, you'll say, hey, what happened? How did I end up here? And here's the thing. You have to be intentional in your growth in the Lord. Verse 15 says this. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And so church in her house. I like that phrase. Listen, mom and dad, you have a church in your house. You know who the congregants are? Your kids, your family, every day. You you, you are the leaders of your home. You, you have a church in your house. Uh, and I like that. Uh, nothing else is known of Nympha other than uh, she just let them, as she mo- most early church people did, let them meet in her house. Hey, you guys come to my house. Look at this, verse 16. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read to the church in La- uh, of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from the Laodiceans. So they, he, Paul's saying this. When you get this letter, the Colossians, once you've read this, take it nine miles up the road. Uh, you're in close proximity. Let them read the letter. I've also sent a letter up there. Um, some say that the letter that he sent to them was First and Second Thessalonians. Some say Ephesians. Some say it's lost. We don't know necessarily what that letter is. We don't have an account. But there was a letter written to the Laodiceans um, that was probably lost somewhere, physically lost or lost in translation somewhere. And we, uh, we know we don't know what this letter is exactly. So verse 17 says this, and to say to uh, Archippus, uh, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I like this. Do what God has told you. Archippus, what, what has God spoke to you? Do it. Yeah, It's a good word uh, for us, and that's a good word for any of us. What has God spoke to you? Do it. I, I love that. It's I mean, plain and simple. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Uh, 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 and it says, it is a good word for us t- as well uh, to what is good. God has told us to keep on whatever he has laid upon our hearts. Right? Whether that's corporately or personally or whatever. I mean, in other words, if God speaks it, then do what you need to do. Well... I need to talk to you, Pastor, about it. Well, what did God speak to you? I mean, if it's if it's biblical, well, talk to me. If you don't think it's biblical, then don't do it. But but talk to me if you if you feel like you need to. But if God spoke to you and said, Hey, I want you to talk to this person in the Walmart line, you don't have to call me. Talk to the person in the Walmart line, okay? Sometimes we overcomplicate it. Verse 18 says this I, Paul, mm, write this this greeting with my own hand, remember my chain. So Paul, he normally wouldn't would have a scribe to write these letters but towards the end of his letter he would basically take over and he would write the last portion of the letter to so it would be authenticated and that the letter would be personalized of him right that's I think that's that's pretty unique and in the beginning of this chapter he instructed the colossians to be thankful and who asked them to pray that he would be able to minister even in prison. I love that. Man, if you get don't get anything else out of this last little bit, you ought to, you ought to pray. God, don't necessarily, Lord, I, I have this situation. But God, help me to minister the way that you want me to minister. He tells them to remember his bonds and shackles here. he's He, he remember my chains. And the reason he does this, it's not for sympathy. He's not asking for, oh, Paul is chained up. That's not what he's looking for here. But it's a basis of his authority that that Christ has put him there. So here's the last part of this scripture, and it's this. I like this. Grace be with you. Paul opens this epistle with the salutation of grace and now closes it with the benediction of grace. Uh, Again, I'll say it again. You've heard me say it. It all starts with grace and it all ends with grace. Every time. Every time. And I think sometimes we struggle. I, I, I'm so glad that, that Pastor Doug spoke on what he spoke We struggle with grace because we feel like that we have to earn it. But really God's grace is there. It's a reminder that that everything that we do starts with God's grace and ends with God's grace. And the King James Version actually says at the end, it says amen. Everyone say amen. And the Greek word for amen is so be it, so In other words, it starts with grace and ends with grace. So grace be with you, so be it. So be it in my life. Will you bow your heads with me? God, I thank you for your grace and mercy, Lord. God, what a powerful and a practical word out of Colossians. God, thank you for the challenge, God, to strengthen our prayer life, to see you in truth, God, to be discerning of, of things that may happen within the church. God, this little book has a lot. God, there's a lot that we can learn in this. But God, I pray, Lord, that, that this book would move us to knowing the truth of who you are. Knowing the truth about what you, what you expect of us, God. God, knowing the truth about our goal as believers is heaven. God, and how we're going to have the great reversal one day. Things that seem so important in this world will be non-important when we get in heaven. God, and the things that we've done internally here on earth will pay great dividends in heaven. God, I ask, Lord, that you would help us in a practical way. God, in chapter 3 and chapter 4, God, the very practical things that Paul lays out for us as we walk here on earth. God, help us to walk them out. and God, help us to walk in in strength as, as a church. God, is this, this year, God, coming into this year, God, I just feel expectation in my heart. God, in a fresh way. God, will you stir your people? God, will you stir me? God, stir me. God, I... And I ask, Lord, that you would stir your church, but God, stir me. Start with me. And God, as I pray, God, help me to pray the right way. Not just empty prayers of, God, get me out of this. But God, how can I be a light to a dark world? God, open opportunities for us as believers to speak life to this dark and dying world. God, when we see people in the grocery store, God, maybe a gentle smile. Maybe praying for someone at a stoplight. Lifting up someone that's in need. God, challenge us. God, move us to greater heights in you. And God will give you the praise. God will give you the glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your patients tonight.